welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. How are you doing, everyone? You well? Please take your seats. As Tony mentioned, we have continued, just um, are continuing our series this evening. We're going to finish it off tonight called Where is God When I Hurt? Or It Hurts. Um, a couple of weeks ago on the front of our paper, uh, it said there's a couple of guys who had been uh, devastated along with many other people, obviously, through the whole floods and cyclones and those things have been happening up in the northern part of our country. I feel very loud here. Am I loud? How are we going? And um, basically, the, the, the caption said, It hurts. And you know, there's always a question that rises in people's minds. Well, I think there's several questions. You know, there's often an accusatory question. The insinuation that where is, if there's a God, where is he in all this? He's either doesn't care or he's not good enough or strong enough to do anything. That's one of the things that rises up in people's mind. Or the other thing, sometimes some of the religious spirits rise up in Christians and, and we start thinking, like, you know, God, this is the judgment of God. And so we looked at a few things and we, we cleared up hopefully a little bit of, um, I guess, theological stuff regarding the whole issue of suffering and, and sin and all that sort of stuff. And we said that, yes, suffering and sin are related. They're interlinked. You cannot separate them. Sin, uh, sorry, suffering entered the world because of sin. Suffering is not an eternal state. Okay, suffering had a beginning, it will have an end, the Bible tells us. Okay, just as sin had a beginning and will have an end. Okay, so it's not something that's always been there. And because of that, suffering actually has meaning in our life. It is not meaningless or purposelessness. It's just God can do something through suffering. Okay, and we looked at that fact that God is able to use our suffering for our own ends. Last week, I had a bit of a look at at a few things. We looked at the fact that, um, that God uses... Oh, sorry, that um, many people in this world today have this concept that pain is bad and pleasure is good. You know, everyone's living for pleasure. Everyone's living for the moment. And the upshot of that is that by default, it's almost like pain has become something to be avoided or minimised at all costs. And I talked about the fact that that is obvious in our society. Many people are avoiding and minimising pain through drug abuse and alcoholism and a whole bunch of stuff, but it doesn't stop there. Because you can look quite respectable and you can seem to have your life in order and you, know, you can go to the gym and you can have no pain, no gain you know, on the wall of your, or on your fridge or whatever and you can still be living with a cringe factor in your life. You can still be trying to avoid pain in different areas and I believe that is part of the reason why there's such a lack of commitment relationally in our society today. While so many people are still living at home, while so many people aren't going to university and getting an education and aren't working and all those things, ultimately they come back to the fact that people are afraid of pain and they're trying to avoid it at all costs. Then we're on to have a look at the fact that God, despite all that, uses our pain. He uses it to protect us. We looked at the fact that those people, you know, to have no pain is not a good thing. Pain is a protective measure in our lives. Those people that can't experience pain end up horribly, horribly, horribly deformed because they can't protect themselves. They don't know when they're doing themselves harm. They don't know when infection's setting. They can't clean them. They don't clean themselves up, etc., etc., etc. And so God protects us through pain. He teaches us through pain. Again, pain is not God's preferred purpose, not His perfect will, but in His permissive will, He's going to use it for our own um, growth and development. He's going to teach us lessons through it. He's going to teach us empathy through it. He's going to teach us a whole bunch of stuff through pain. 
And so I guess I'm wanting us today, as, and certainly last week and today, I'm really wanting us as believers to have a mature approach to this whole subject of suffering and pain. Let's not be like the world that sees it as the enemy and avoids it at all costs. We cannot and will not fulfill God's call on our lives if we have that approach to life. We have to be able to embrace pain. Not, not enjoy it in some masochistic sort of way, but to embrace it and recognise that on the other side of pain is purpose and growth and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so I want to have a look to this evening. In part three, I want to start reading in Exodus chapter three. We're talking about where is God when it hurts. And in Exodus chapter three, I'm picking up, sort of breaking into a story. It's an Old Testament story. And it's about the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. They had been in captivity for some 400 years. Well, sorry, they'd moved to Israel, uh, Egypt, had lived there for some 400 years, but recently had become captive. Recently, they began to explode in numbers and the Egyptian pharaoh was intimidated. In fact, the Egyptian people were intimidated by the growth um, and the multiplication of these Israelites. And so what they did, they enslaved them. They pushed them to the bottom of the pile and they still continued to thrive and prosper uh, in, in that context. And so what they did, the, the pharaoh issued an edict that the young boys were to be killed. And you may know the story. Initially, he tried to get the Hebrew midwife to kill the sons. They wouldn't do it. And ultimately, he gave the Egyptians just the open slather to go and just throw the, the Israelite boys into the river. And so obviously, there was distress in Egypt. And I guess the question for the Israelites was, where is God when we're hurting? For the Israelites, you can imagine they're living, their life essentially consists of, you'd imagine every daylight hour would be making bricks for the Egyptians and all their building projects that they've got going. So they're making bricks, they're eating and sleeping and then getting up and making more bricks and eating and sleeping and getting up and making more bricks. And in the midst of that, finding time to procreate and have kids, but then those kids they're having, if they're a boy, there's a good chance they're going to be killed. And all they've got going for them is the vague recollection that somewhere, hundreds of years ago, there's a story and there's the bones of a guy called Joseph to prove it, that somehow we're here by God's design. We've got this vague inkling that we are God's people. And so we read that they're crying out to God. And God, in Exodus chapter 3, comes and approaches a man called Moses in the desert. And he says these words to Moses. He says, I have indeed seen, sorry, I have indeed seen, picking up in verse 7, chapter 3, the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. I'm concerned about their suffering. I love that. And I think we've got to remember that. Never forget that. God is concerned about your suffering. He might not be doing about anything about it in the moment, but he's concerned about it and he has a reason. We'll have a look at some of those in just a minute if he's delaying at all in intervening. He says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Skipping down to verse 19, it says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels them. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably, favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in the house for articles of silver and of gold, for clothing, sorry, which we will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. So God has 
broken into history at this particular point in time on behalf of his nation Israel. And his, his plans for them are amazing, I think. I mean, here's a people that are totally enslaved. They have no power. They have no say. They have no means by which to free themselves. Their expectation for the day is probably just falling to bed at the end of the night to sleep because they're so worn out from all their work. They are living under, in fear and oppression. And they've got this vague inkling, as I said, of God. And yet God comes and he says, I'm going to set this people free. The first thing I want to ask is, because this, this story that I'm telling you right now is kind of a, a picture of what God is wanting to do in every one of our lives. God dealing with national Israel is a, is a shadow, if you like, of what God wants to do to us individually. The Bible talks about the fact that every person is in bondage to sin and to death. Besides that fact, as if that's not bad enough, the Bible talks about spiritual forces of evil that oppress people and have wicked schemes and systems in place that keep them enslaved and keep them doing stupid stuff and keep them hurting themselves and hurting others. And so there's systems in places that have got people bound and God wants to come and set people free. Just as he came to set Israel free, so he is coming to set us free. And so there's an initial sense in which God wants to bring us into salvation and, and set us free from sin and death and the fear of that. But he also, as Christians, there's a continual, ongoing setting free that God is wanting to bring into our lives. And so I want us to remember stuff because it doesn't, it's not necessarily easy from there on in. You would think from there, it's going to be awesome. You know, God comes, I'm going to set these people free. And not only am I going to set them free, I'm going to teach the Egyptians a lesson. And they're going to plunder them. You think, excellent, what am I going to read in the next chapter? I'm going to read about carnage on the Egyptians and freedom for the Israelites. But no, it doesn't get, any, it doesn't get better straight away. God begins a process. And I think that's the first thing I want us to really capture is that God often uses processes rather than events. Often, again, in a society where we want everything now or yesterday and we want to avoid as much pain as possible, we want stuff to happen immediately. We want it to be an event. But God is using processes. And here we see God begin to enact a process. He begins to have dealings with, with Pharaoh, between Moses and Pharaoh and Aaron and Pharaoh. And, and there's this conversation which develops over the next little while. And so Moses rocks up to Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go. You can imagine Pharaoh is not too impressed with that. And straight away he puts the Israelites to harder work. It was bad before, now suddenly it is worse because God has got involved. <laughs> Can you relate to that? Have you ever become a Christian? You, know, you might become a Christian, suddenly you lose your friend, but God's got a plan. God, in this instance, wanted to do for the Israelites more than they ever hoped, dreamed, or imagined of for themselves. What could you hope for in their situation? Put yourself in their situation. What could you hope for? If you were asked... If you were given a blank sheet of paper as an Israelite, living back in those times, said, what do you want? Uh, you might ask for nicer food. You might want to leave the country, but you would probably be stuck beyond that because you just know nothing different. You don't know what's out there. You don't know the goodness of God. And so you're just trapped in your own experiences. You're trapped in your own small-mindedness. You're trapped in what your circumstances have conditioned you to believe for. 
And so if it had been up to the Israelites at that moment, if Pharaoh said go, the Israelites would have said, okay then. They would have taken their tatty clothes, they would have grabbed their kids, they would have walked out into the desert and starved and died. But God didn't have that plan for them. Again, assuming God wasn't in the picture. But God has something far more. He wanted them to leave. He wanted them to leave victoriously. He wanted them to leave with the Egyptians all saying, go. (laughs) And he wanted them to leave wealthy and rich. He wanted to do something significant, something that they couldn't have conceived of for themselves. And I want us to understand that God is wanting to do that in every one of our lives. I'm not saying he wants to make you rich and prosperous necessarily in a worldly sense, but I'm saying that no matter what you think God has for your life right now, God has more. Doesn't matter where you've come from, God has more than you are currently believing him for, more than you currently expect, more than you are currently asking for, more than you are currently able to conceive of. God has more for you because your expectation is based on your past. It's based on your knowledge of you. It's based on what your teachers, the grades your teachers gave you at school, perhaps the opportunities that you've had as you were growing up and so on and so forth. And so and you, you're aware of what your opportunities are. And so you will base your expectations on that. But God wants to do so much more. I was just thinking about this. Like, how can I illustrate this? And I, and, and seriously, I, I, my mind straight away went to Sally Graham again. I know I've used her as an illustration before, but I've got to just share something of her life. Some of you have read the book that she's written. But again, if you think about a desperate situation, it was this lady's life and her family's life when we first met them. Here was a couple um, in the midst of addiction, in the midst of, of abuse, in the midst of a controlling relationship, Three kids living in a, a trust house. Um, you know, Sally did not have much to live for. She said her, her goal in life, she said, if I can have enough money each day to buy tailor-made smokes, that's her goal. That's as much as she can ask. If you gave her a, a blank a piece of paper, write down what you would really, really love in life. That was it. She said she looked at her kids and she pitied them. She thought, these kids are being apprenticed to petty theft and drug addiction. That is what they will get. If they follow in mine and my husband's footsteps, that is what they've got in front of them. Probably jail time, certainly, very likely, not a fulfilling relationship, and all the rest of it that goes with it. That's what she was living in the midst of. It was ugly. It was dirty. It was filthy. It was smelly. And I've asked Sally, there's so many stories like this in this place. A lot of you don't, just don't know well enough to actually expose her like this. But Sally has got it all out there for everyone to, to know about in a book, so... This lady now, let's, let's have a little bit of stock taking her life. It's not been an easy journey. It's been a long journey. We've walked together. But this lady right now is married to an awesome guy yeah. called Dave. She has five awesome kids, three of which she just reminded me the other day by way of thanks and appreciation and just being amazed at God's goodness. But three of them, have, are working now because of their direct relationship with the church. Minnie's actually, we heard about last week, um, is working in our office. And we've got um, uh, Dan is working with Graham. And we've got um, Joe working with, with Jeff. And so God's goodness, and they're, they're employed. They're earning a living. It's, they're not on the welfare system. They're making their own way in life. Sally herself is working. 
It's working in a, in, a, in a prison system, bringing help and relief to others and support to others. She is a, an award-winning author. She has, she has a counselling degree and she gives her time to, to that end, both in a paid and an unpaid capacity, to help people. All of that, I'd like enough money to be able to roll my own fags, thanks. God is a good God. God is a big, we can never out-ask God. He is bigger and greater and has better plans for us than we could ever have for ourselves. Let's not underestimate his ability to move in and through our lives. I mean, many of us, um, with all the advantages that we may have had getting a launch, you know, I would be pretty happy with what Sally's got right now. But she had none of that, really. And God, in these last few years, and the thing is, you know, this is just, some of that is in the first book. <laughs> some of the stuff I've just shared is not in the book at all yet. And she's only young. And the kids are only just starting. Who knows what God is going to have done with the combined impact of Sally Graham's life by the time she's finished here on this planet. And then that legacy will go on through her children. And that legacy will go on through those people who she's been able to communicate with in jail. And that legacy will go on with the mums of the people that she's met at school with the kids. All that sort of stuff will go on and on and on and on and on into all eternity. That's what God wants to do in our life. More than we could hope, dream or imagine. God's ways are higher than our ways. The Bible says as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. So are his thoughts higher than our thoughts. That's why we've got to read the word of God. That's why we've got to allow our mind to be transformed and renewed into his way of thinking. The second thing that I want to say, so God's ways are higher than our ways. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that God's never going to give us more than we can bear. You think about the Israelites and their scenario. They got to the point where they almost couldn't bear any more. The next step for them was annihilation. You kill all the boys and you only leave the girls, you're going to struggle to go to another generation. And so that was God brought them to that point before he, was able to, before he moved in their life. And like I said, they was in this situation that suddenly got worse. God moved, but things got worse. Why did they get worse? Because God had a plan and a purpose that he wanted to bring to its fullness. And again, we mustn't be intimidated when things appear to get worse when God begins to move in our life. Because God's got a big plan. What would, God have, what would the Israelites have done if God hadn't followed through? If God hadn't made them enemies of Pharaoh? They would have settled for less than God actually intended. They probably would have turned back as soon as the going got tough. They had that option taken away from them because of the process, the painful process, that God was taking them through. If I use Sally as an example again, about God not giving us more than we can handle, on more than one occasion, her life didn't become perfect. She didn't have an event when she became a Christian. There was an event that took place, a spiritual event that took place, a transaction between God and her. She became righteous before God. 
She became a Christian and received eternal life, etc., etc., etc. But when she woke up in the morning, she was still married to Max. And she still had three kids to look after. She still didn't have a job and still had some life-controlling issues and, and certainly a husband. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on in her life. She didn't have an event that took place. She began to walk out a process, a process that was long and hard. You've probably heard bits and pieces of that from this very pulpit as well. And Max was controlling, and he was abusive, and he was addicted to all sorts of stuff and, and drank like a fish. I remember going around their house one day, and um, again, I loved Max to bits, seriously. Um, but I remember going around their house one day with someone, and they said, be careful, because it looked like no one was home. All the doors were open, there was, it was pretty quiet. Um, and it looked like no one was home, and, and the guy who I was with, he says, look, we'll go inside. But when you're going, just move quickly because Matt could be behind the door with a baseball bat about to stove your head in. So, okay. So, <laughs> there was no one home, all right? <laughs> but that's what Sally had to contend with. And obviously, you know, she's got this new life. She's got hope and a dream for the future and all that sort of stuff is, is brewing on one side. And then you've got the reality of living in a situation at home that was not pleasant. And they didn't just both get saved. They, you know, God was working at both their lives simultaneously, but it wasn't at the same speed. And Max was struggling with stuff that Sally wasn't at the time. And I can remember her coming to my office regularly. Probably every few months she would come and she'd say, oh, I've got to divorce Max. I've got to leave him. I've got to divorce him. What do you reckon? I'd say, well, Sal, do you, you want what I reckon? Or do you want what the Bible reckons? Or... Because Sally, at that early stage, had a sense of God's calling on her life. And I know that her primary goal in life was to please God. And I said, if you want to please God, just hang around. Just stay with Max. It's going to hurt. But the Bible says that divorce is a sign of hardness of heart. And, and I think God wants to use you. And he wants you to keep your heart soft and supple. Because if he does that, if you do that, he can use you in, in the lives of other people. But if you allow yourself to get hard and crusty, you become unusable. And so that would be, you know, she'd feel, okay, I'm encouraged. I've got enough strength to go through another day. And then a few months later, back in the same conversation. And I don't know how many times we had that conversation. And I just felt in God just to keep just giving her the strength to stay married. And uh, she felt God had spoke to her about her situation, how it wasn't going to be you know, long term. It was, it, there was going to be a change in her life some way down the track. And so I wanted to hold her accountable to that and hold her accountable to the word of God and give her the strength to keep going. And when she felt like she couldn't go any further, the church was there to help her through me or through others and the comfort of God no doubt was there to help her and just keep her going that little bit more when she felt like she was just wrung out and go no further I said Sal you're made of sterner stuff than you realise you are God doesn't make junk and that's the trouble when we feel like we've got to the end of ourselves and we feel like we're at breaking point and we don't go any further the good and the bad news is we've usually got a whole lot longer to go we can be stretched a whole bunch further and again we're talking about God doing something in us and making us usable Using the pain and suffering with a purpose. You know, if you go to the gym, it's not the first rep that you do that really does the building and the, and the strengthening of your body. It's the last one or the last two that you just kind of get. It's when you go for, and we go for a bike ride. It's not the, the bottom of the hill. It's the top of the hill that builds the fitness. Okay, it's, And it's like this in our life. Relationally and in every aspect, it's the tough bits at the end. When you feel like you can go no further. The Israelites felt they could go no further. Just when things were really bad, suddenly they're building bricks with no straw. And so they had no time before because they were building bricks from morning to night. And suddenly they've got to go and find straw as well in their non-spare time to continue building bricks. And so they've got 
they've, you know, they were under the radar before. Now they've got the wrath of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But God wasn't pushing them beyond what they could bear. They could bear it at that moment. And we can bear stuff beyond what we ever thought possible if we will continue to go. God knows what we can bear. God made us. He knows exactly what we can bear. When you think, I can't stay married to this man or to this woman, the Word of God says that God will provide a way out, that we can stand up under it. What is God's way out? Well, it might be just the church, the bit of strength you get from going to connect group and just a bit of encouragement, a bit of prayer that just says, okay, I'm out next month, but I reckon I can do another week of this. It might be the same in your work. It might be the same with your kids. I can't take it anymore. It might be I'm just sparing of life. But God won't push us beyond what we can bear. He will provide a way out. He will provide his presence. He will provide sometimes just his power to get us through. He'll provide his people. The third thing that we need to remind us ourselves of when we're in the midst of suffering, because again, I want us to be able to embrace it, is that God is able to do more than we can hope or imagine. God is a big God. He's going to take us beyond. He wants more for us than we want for ourselves. He's going to take us through when we feel we can't bear it anymore. And the third thing is that his timing is perfect. In Sally's life, she got to the point where she was going to kill her husband. Not Dave, although maybe that's happened as well. But <laughs> for her, as an unsaved person, unknown to the church but known to God, she prayed this prayer. God, if you're real, You'd better do something or he's dead. And began to process how she was going to kill her husband because she couldn't take any more. She got to that point where she she really couldn't bear any more. And so she gave God this ultimatum. The next day, I think it was, she's driving her car. So she's, she's walking down the road and she happens to see a Christian whose car is broken down right next to where she's going to walk by. It turns out that she knows the person. She asks what he's been up to and they... And, and he says, I've been going to church. Why don't you come? And so basically, that moment, that perfect timing of God brings about a cha- total change of direction in her life. God's timing is perfect. His timing isn't when we want it usually. It's when we need it. It's when God's finished doing all around about us that he needs to do. Because the trouble is with us, we are so focused on ourselves we're pretty eye conscious, and that's to be under, you know, that's fairly understandable. And you know, we don't like pain, so it's, you know, we don't like waiting. But guys, if we can relax in God's timing, seriously, if we can just learn to relax in God's timing, allow Him to do what He wants to around about us. You know, God had worked in uh, Sally worked in guy, sorry, God had worked in Guy's life, and He worked in Sally's life, and then He began to be, uh, work a process in her. But he got her to the point of desperation and God will often get us to the point of desperation. We're willing to do anything before he moves. Because it's not about us. It's about him and his purposes ultimately being fulfilled in our life. There are people in your life right now 
if we come back to our story about how things hit the fan rather than start to go smoother when God got involved, think about your life and how you thought becoming a Christian is going to get rid of all my problems and suddenly you lose all your friends. You know some of the rumors that have been going around? God actually started them. God wanted you to lose your friends because he didn't want you to go back into Egypt, so to speak. He loves you too much. He, he, he deliberately orchestrated things that made you look bad and got people to hate you because you needed room to be able to get to know God and to grow and to get engrafted into a church rather than just suck back into the vortex that was your previous life. And even when you're a Christian, stuff like that happens because God wants you to continue to grow forward. He's going to allow pain and suffering to shape your life. So let's not get intimidated by that. You know what I'm saying? We often back off because of a bit of pain. But I'm saying from a biblical perspective, that's when, if anything, we should start to get a little bit excited. I don't want to sound a bit weird about this, but you know what I'm saying? God is on the move so we can embrace what God is bringing our way because we know that on the other side, he's got more for us than we ever hoped, dreamed, or imagined of. I think Sally's blessing today, in all honesty is a result of her just standing firm probably 10 years ago or thereabouts when she felt like she had nothing left to give. She just felt like God must have hated her and deserted her to leave her in this marriage and what sort of God would make me stay in a marriage like this and the kids shouldn't be seeing you know, uh, that sort of stuff going on between mother and father and all that sort of stuff. But the good word of God didn't change. And she found strength in God to make it through another day and make it through another day and make it through another day. And she could have just run a mile. She could have gone to another church where they view things differently. She could have just left Max. I said, you're free to do that at the end of the day. And they had some time apart and all that sort of stuff. But the word of God became the, the compass in her life. And I believe the blessing that she has in Dave, the blessing that she has in her kids, is because she held God's word. Yeah. And she hold, held on to God when she had nowhere else to go. And I think many of us rob ourselves. We take the easy way out and we rob ourselves of a blessing into the future. And I think Sally is living now in the blessing of that stand that she made some time ago. And I really am just wanting to see the church stand on these little issues. Little issues, you know what I mean? And just in the everyday issues. In the everyday issues. Because where it's at is where our marriage is at. Where it's at is how we're conducting ourselves with our girlfriend or boyfriend. Where it's at is what do people think about us at work? Or in our sporting club? And those sort of things. Where, what do our neighbours think about us? This is where the rubber hits the road. And sometimes we expect some big miracle that you know, God's going to you know, part the Red Sea or something in front of us and you know, we're going to walk into our neighbour's house and you know, ta-da, the lights. It's going to be amazing. They're going to get saved. And the first port of call in terms of their salvation is, is like suddenly they hate our guts. But it's actually part of God's process for them and us. Because how we deal with that. And sometimes we embark on this process. We've got this neighbour that hates our guts. And there's like a war going on. But God is wondering how we're going to deal with that. And over 10 years down the track, after that neighbour has thrown everything they possibly can at us, worn themselves out trying to hate us, they just give in and say, man, I've got to have what you're having. <laughs> People are watching us. God is working all around about us in ways that we don't understand. Because he wants more for us than we want for ourselves. Let's not cave in. 
Let's not take the easy way. Let's stand up. And where the word of God gives us a direction to take, let's begin to just walk in that path. This world is full of people taking the easy way. I said last week, if you don't get stretched, if you don't push hard against the resistance, you're going to become weak. You're going to become diminished. I mentioned the story about you know, those poor people that, that can't feel their hands. And they just eventually hack themselves. Their legs get, first they lose their feet. Kathy, after I shared it, Kathy, um, uh, where's Kathy Lee? Was saying about a little boy that, that she had been treating who had that condition. And basically, he was just, just wearing his legs away, bit by bit. Lived in a, in a remote community, and again, they didn't really give the care and didn't have the support they could for him. And so he was just wearing himself away. And people are wearing themselves away because they refuse to learn the lessons that God is, God is wanting to work through the pain that we have. Not, we're not to avoid it. We're not to embrace it in a stupid way. But we're to say, God, what are you teaching me through this? God wants us to outlast our critics and our opponents. He's doing more behind our backs than he's doing in front of our faces. The Egyptians, you know, even some of the Egyptians left with the Israelites because they could see that the blessing of God was on these people. God is wanting us, when we leave, to take others with us. That's what it's all about. God is unsettling people. While we're, getting, while we're frustrated that things aren't happening fast enough, God needs that time to unsettle other people whose hearts are hard and to reposition other people who are out of position at the moment because your life isn't about you. My life isn't about me. There are things right now that I'm not content with, but I've just got to put up with for a season because God has got other things that have got to fall into place before I'm ready to walk into us. It might be you know, seeing that friend saved. Or it might be, you know, whatever it might be. There's a whole bunch of stuff out there that you feel God has got for you in your future. But God is preparing the way for you in order that you can actually hold on to it and not just lose it and not turn back when the going gets tough. Suffering and pain and hurt in our, life, in our, in our world is an unavoidable reality. Where is God when it hurts? Well, he's there. He's everywhere. And while he's not directly responsible for the pain and suffering in this world, he's aware of the pain and the suffering in this world. And he's going and he's wanting to do something about it. Jesus came in order that we might be set free from sin and death. In the Old Testament, the story I've just read to you, it's about a man called Moses who came and spoke on God's behalf to the Pharaoh and commanded that the people be set free. Jesus has come as our Moses to bring us out of slavery and to bring us into freedom. Whatever your slavery might look right now, like right now, as a, as a non-Christian, your slavery is sin and death. You, you are in bondage to sin and the fear of death and a whole bunch of other stuff will go with that. But even as believers, I know that there are stuff that people are enslaved to. What are you enslaved to? Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's 
promiscuity, whatever it might be. God is wanting to bring you out of it. God is wanting to bring you out of it. And it's going to get uncomfortable before it gets better. But let's face up. Let's stand up. Let's be ready to take whatever comes in order that we can walk into the full freedom of what God wants. He permits it because of what it can produce in our lives. The Bible says God is patient with us. Started off, we talked about floods and we talked about cyclones and all that. So I believe that those things are going to increase as we get closer to seeing Jesus face to face. But they will continue for another season because God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He's wanting people to wake up. I've said last week, pain is a warning sign. When this world gets too much for us to handle, too much for us to control, the right response to that is not drugs, it's not alcohol, it's not suicide, it's not more PlayStation, it's not fast cars or loose women or anything. It's, God, help! What do I do? And God will break into your world like he did with Sally. Miraculously. People always want to go to the most extreme cases and say, how could a God of love allow that to happen? Where's God when it hurts? I'm absolutely convinced that when we get to heaven, you know, we, sing, we sung a song a while ago, a few years ago, and it was finished with, well, part of it was, when, when we look back, all we'll see is his goodness. And I was trying to process this today. I was thinking about, Lord, is there a situation where any person is going to look back and think, it just wasn't worth it? For the parent who maybe didn't know Jesus and lost a child, and through the grief and the pain of that process, ultimately came to know Jesus because they just had nowhere else to turn, but the church was there is either the parent or the child, in the light of eternity, going to look back and say, what was God thinking? They'll say, all praise, all glory, all honour to God. He knew the one thing that would get my attention. Anything else could have happened. I would have remained my own silly, stubborn, stupid self going in that direction. But God, in killing my child, got my attention. Not because he hates me, but because he loves me. And because my child was instantly in heaven anyway. And I think you can go through situation and circumstance after circumstance. Whatever it takes, God will do because he loves us. He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. In his sovereignty and in his wisdom, I believe he gives every person ample chance to come to him. I don't think God allows a devil anywhere near a person who hasn't had a chance to accept Jesus. And again, maybe not a full Bible revelation, but... Enough to get them saved. The most horrific war, the, the greatest carnage in the midst of a you know, trench warfare in times gone by, in Afghanistan right now, wherever. God is using situations, circumstances, and suffering far more than he's using comfort and pleasure. Where is God when it hurts? Well, he's around, hoping we'll come to our senses and just calling us to himself. And he's going to use it because his plans for us are greater 
than any plans we could ever have for ourselves. Can we pray? Father, I just pray that you take my words and just use them to spark something in us that would help us to look beyond where we currently are. We so often just get bogged down in the expectations that this world places upon us. And we are fighting and refusing the things that you're allowing into our lives that ultimately you've put there to help us grow and mature and become more like you. That are to be there for the saving of others. God, help us to mature and to grow up as your people. May we not be like the world. May we not just give in and give up so quickly, Lord. Strengthen us in our innermost being. May we be people who can see beyond the obvious and get a glimpse of your ways and your thoughts which are higher than our ways and our thoughts. Where stuff doesn't make sense to us initially, Lord, may we rethink it and ask for your wisdom, ask for your insight that you can have your way in and through our lives and that all the pain and the suffering that has been wreaked upon this earth for thousands of years, God, may it not be in vain. But may we, through it, come closer to you. And as a result of that, Lord God, may we bring others close to you as well. In Jesus' name I pray. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.